He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. I humble myself under your mighty hand. I pray that you will use this vessel in any way that you choose. I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will anoint everything that shall be said. I pray that the words that shall come from me shall be spirit and life unto your people. May we leave this place not the same. May we leave this place having experienced that the Lord has done a tangible work in our lives. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil of the seed falling on ground without roots. Deliver us from the evil of the seed falling in places where birds of the air will come and take it away. Deliver us from the seed falling into places that the word of God will be choked. But Lord, I ask you this morning that you will let your word fall on good soil. That it will yield much fruit with perseverance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Everybody has their own sin. You know in Hebrews 12, the Bible says that, let us lay aside every weight. And this sin, that so easily besets us. So everybody has a this sin. That easily entangles your legs and affects the way you run. And I believe that daughters also have this sin that entangles their legs and slows them down. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. The sins of daughters, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And then verse 13, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? Everybody say, What is this that thou hast done? <laughs> Amen. Now, this is the temptation of Eve, and every woman has descended from Eve. The Bible says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, one of the things that worry us as women is our eyes and what we see. That's one of the reasons why majority of us like window shopping. Because our eyes like to see 
good things and nice things. Some people, when they see them, must acquire by all means. I like window shopping, but I don't necessarily like to acquire. And when I'm with my husband, he will say, so why are you looking at the thing so much? I said, because it's nice. And then he would say, do you want it? I said, no, I don't want it. But I just feel that it's very nice. Sometimes I'll touch something, he'll say, so if you are not buying it, why are you spending so much time? I said, just the texture alone, it just gives a good feeling. Now the texture should be so high quality, the wow, when she saw that it was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. Things that are pleasant to the eyes are also a problem for women. Amen. Amen. Pleasant to the eyes. All these things on their own are not sin. But they lead to often dangerous places. And a tree to be desired. We have problems with our desires. We have unbridled desires. We have uncontrolled desires. You know, we can desire sometimes somebody's husband. And when you say he's my oh, but lady pastor, I'm in love with him. I once met a lady that I, I was speaking to. And she said that, you know, I've gone out with this married man for so many years. Now he says we should break up. Oh, I said, hey, why are you crying so much? I said, lady pastor, I'm so in love with him. I don't know how I'll live without him. I said, how do you think his wife lived without him? <laughs> Has that occurred to you? It has not occurred to her at all. And she said, you know, I don't understand why we just can't continue that way. He says, it's now time to just break up and go our separate ways. After I've invested so much in this relationship, you, you are a girlfriend, you have invested a lot. Do you know what the wife has also invested? But we women do not feel for each other most of the time. And what we would not like to be done to us, we easily do to each other. Because we are not each other's keepers. We are rather destroyers of each other. Many times we say, you know, the woman must be lifted up. The woman must be respected. The woman must be... But the one who must respect and lift up women is another woman. And unless we come to that place where we celebrate each other, honor each other, stand for each other, we are not going anywhere to happen. Sometimes even in a church, when there's a male pastor, he's better looked after. When there's a female pastor, they will never ask you even if you are thirsty or you want anything. I mean, God for us all. You are each for himself. And God for us all. But when it's a male pastor, Pastor, would you like something to drink? Pastor, are you okay? Pastor, is everything going on well? But the lady pastor, she does not even care to you. Another lady who should know her problems, he does not care to you. A tree to be desired. God is not against your desires, but you can have wrong desires. It's not everything you desire that you must have. And it's not everything you desire that will be a blessing to you. Amen. So our desires are supposed to be controlled like children. If everything a child desires every day is to just have sweets, and you are going to follow the child's desire, every day he cries, Mama, I want candy, you give him. And he does not eat any good food. 
he will be malnourished. He will not grow properly. So in the same way, there are certain desires you may have. And you may have desires that drive us, but they may not be right for us to have them. Amen. Amen. So when, she saw, when, she, when all these things worked on Eve, then she took of the tree of the fruit and did eat. And when she ate it, she didn't eat it alone. She gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. That is our problem as women. We have a great sphere of influence. Our influence goes beyond ourselves. And so when we make mistakes, it's not just ourselves that suffer. It is a greater dimension than ourselves that suffer. So when Eve fell, she had influence over Adam. So Adam, who was the head, also fell. And when Adam fell, God's creation also depended on Adam. And therefore it fell. And therefore that shows the power of a woman. That even what God Almighty has created, we can reverse that creation. You see, we don't have muscle. Oftentimes, we are very soft. God has made us in a very curvy way. I told you yesterday because we are made from man, not from dust. So we are a refined species of God's creation. Amen, the sons. And because of that, we, we, God did not say that we were the head. Adam was made first before Eve. Amen. Amen. But we have such great influence that we don't need to be the head to rule. Amen. Amen. When you look at Delilah, she didn't carry even one crossbar of iron. She didn't have that strength. Samson carried the gates of Gaza. He killed lions with his bare hands. He was the judge of Israel. He ruled. But when it came to Delilah, her weapons were what? A pair of laps. That's all. Doesn't have AK-47. She doesn't have scarred missile. But she has a powerful weapon that can bring somebody that God has called down. Like that. Amen. Just a pair of laps. She doesn't have much. Eve. Eve doesn't have any, you know, this type of scarred missiles that they sent to Afghanistan. Billions. They are fighting the ballistic things. And we don't have all that. What did Eve use to bring down God's creation? It was the fruit. Just a fruit. Do you understand? So, for a woman, it's not the kind of weapon. But it's whose hands the weapon falls into. That is the crux of the matter. Amen. Amen. When you look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, she gave birth to a son who has changed the course of so many lives and continues to do so up to today. What did Mary have? Her virginity is what God took and what God used. (laughs) Amen. Amen. But other men in the Bible, you know, they are so powerful. They are doing this. They are doing that. So a woman doesn't need a very powerful thing to be effective. When Sisera, the enemy army, they had tormented Israel. The Bible says for 20 years, people could not even travel along a certain highway. Then God called Deborah and said, go and save Israel. And when she went, Sisera got off his horse and was running. And when he was running, 
he got to a housewife called JL. She was standing by her tent coolly. And she said, I wanted somebody, somewhere to hide. And JL looked so harmless. You know, we have this harmless, innocent looking, uh, uh, what? Voluptuous look that just deceives the brothers. But between ourselves, we are not deceived. Between ourselves, we can see. But when the brothers see us, we look so tender, so mouth. Oh, in fact, we have a very deceptive nature when we choose to be. So when Sarah runs and jail, he says, can I come into your tent? And jail says, oh, turn in, my master, turn in. And Sarah says, can I have a glass of water? She said, no, I'll give you milk, hot milk, very nice one. And the man goes and he sleeps, the fool that he is. You see, men have a way of putting all their investment in us. I mean, you are running from a battle, you come into a tent. You don't know me very well, but they said that they knew her husband and all that. I'm a housewife, I look so harmless, so you sleep with all your might. She gives him milk and she covers him with a blanket. And when he's fast asleep, he's snoring. She goes to bring nails and a hammer. And she just drives it into his temples, wherever temples are. And then that's it. He just dies. The man who has tormented Israel for 20 years, he takes a glass of milk to bring him to his knees. So there's something called the influence of a woman. You know, one of our great leaders in Africa, Kweji Agri, he said that when you educate a man, you educate an individual, one person. But when you educate a woman, you educate a nation. Because her sphere of influence alone. You, Adam, God has spoken to you, do not eat this apple. Then Eve brings it to you. And the Bible says, she gave unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Why don't you ask questions? <laughs> Why don't you say, Eve, is this not the fruit that God said we shouldn't eat? But just the sight of us, you are just slain and you stop thinking. Such is the power of a woman. And one of the cardinal sins of daughters is to destroy God's creation. Amen. That is why when God came to the garden, he asked Eve in Genesis 3.13, What is this that thou hast done? God knew that it wasn't just the eating of the apple. It wasn't just the sharing of the apple with Adam, but it was the effect of her disobedience on his creation. At that time, before then in the Garden of Eden, there was no sickness. There was no disease. There were no terminal sicknesses like cancer and HIV and things that we can't find cures for. And leukemia and all these things were not there. There were no wars. There was no betrayal. There was no offense. There was no problem with relationships. There was no broken heartedness. There were no broken homes. There was no lies. There was no deception. There were no wars in Rwanda, in Afghanistan, in Iraq. And it's a, it is Eve's disobedience. That apple. That fruit. Actually, the Bible says fruit. But people say apple. I don't know how come. And so when God came and said, what is this that thou hast done? That's what God could see. He could see the wars, the terminal diseases, the death. There was no death. Man was not supposed to die. Man was to live forever. 
There had never been an argument between Adam and Eve. There was peace. That was God's plan. But just through one woman's disobedience, his whole creation. So that Paul says in the New Testament that the whole creation groans, waiting for their adoption as the sons of God. Because we fell from that place because of disobedience. And when God came, he wasn't just seeing Adam and Eve. He was seeing years ahead. He says, what is this? What is this that you've done that the only remedy will be for my son to come down to shed blood? That is the extent of your disobedience. What is this that thou hast done? And in this present world, God is still asking us, what is this that we have done? Because we have the ability to destroy churches. When a church is being started, it's not easy. Pastor Peter came to Australia not knowing anybody. He came because Bishop felt that God had a purpose in Australia. So go from England. Leave. Go to Australia and start a church. He knew nobody. He was just wandering around train station everywhere, speaking to people about Christ at school, inviting people to know Christ. And he had to leave his family, leave his children. The church had to support him, not even financially, but you know, just with encouragement and goodwill. He had to look for a job, clean plates, clean the floors, an educated lecturer in England, just to make the church of God come on. And then you come in later, and then you just use some food, and you destroy what God is doing. And when you are destroying something in the church, all that you see is your small world, you and your husband. You and your child, you and Adam, you and an apple, it's more than that. And what God looks at you, he says, what is this that you are doing? What is this? Because when there's no church, some people may never be saved. When there's no church, some people may be driven to suicide. Some people will suffer mental breakdown. Some people will not recover mentally. If this church had not been here, some marriages would never have worked. So when you stand and you just destroy, ask yourself, what is this? What is this that I'm doing? And we do that because we don't see far. We don't see ourselves as very powerful and very influential, but we are. We don't see how far-reaching our actions are, but they are. We just see our little world. I will show her a lesson or two. I will teach her where power lies. And in shaking yourself and teaching her a lesson or two, people lose their faith and go away from God. What is this that you are doing? Turn to the nearest sister and ask, what is this that you are doing? Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 1 to 3. I urge you, and I urge Sintike to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the course of the gospel together with Clement also 
and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Amen. Amen. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing. And he says, I urge you, oh dear, and I urge Sintike to do what? To live in harmony in the Lord. He mentions Clement and other fellow workers, but he doesn't have issues with them. It's Juodia and Sintike who are not getting on in the church. And Apostle Paul he used to say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But here, he says, I urge, I beseech. Because he had used all his powers, it's not working. So now the Apostle has to beg you and urge you, women in the church, I urge you. Please live in harmony. Live in peace. And you and Sintike are not, you know, sometimes people say, oh, it's only carnal women who will behave that way. It's not true. Look at their credentials. Help these women, one, who have shared my struggle in the course of the gospel, whose names are in the book of life. These are their credentials. They have shared Paul's struggles in the gospel. They are hard workers when it comes to the things of God. They are part of the gospel. When a church is starting, the real pillars are often women. We stand and we encourage when we can't even see anybody. When the pastor has only three members, we will encourage, Pastor, it is well. It will work. When the pastor finishes preaching, we come. We encourage him. Pastor, I was blessed. Pastor, is there anything I can do? Can I call up some people? Can I encourage some people? Can you send me to the bank, Pastor, to be a treasurer? Pastor, can I print this for you? We, ah, we share the struggle in the gospel. But the same people who become pillars, later they become caterpillars and they pull down. Ask the nearest sister, are you a pillar or a caterpillar? The same pillar becomes a caterpillar. And so Apostle Paul, who could control everybody, and said that when I come to the church at Corinth, you will see, I will do this. When it came to Yodia and Sintike, he's calling on somebody to help him. Help me. Help me. I urge Yodia and Sintike to live in harmony. What does harmony mean? Peace. In the Lord. Because your small quarrel, you already in Sintike, is not small. Because with time, it will become like a football team. Some people are Man United, some are Liverpool, some are Chelsea. You would have divided the church. The very church that you struggle to build, you can bring it to nothing in a few minutes. I urge you, Odia and Sintike, that they live in harmony with each other. When it comes to Paul, they'll be ready to serve Paul. Oh, they will struggle with Paul. They will serve Paul. They will look after Paul well. But when it comes to she and Sintike, it won't work. It will not work. Turn to the nearest sister and say, are you Euodia or are you Sintike? <laughs> that they live in harmony in the Lord. It's not that you won't have issues. You will have issues. But I urge you to see the kingdom of God instead of your small kingdom. Amen. To see a greater cause instead of your small quarrel. To see that this thing is a supernatural thing and is going somewhere. Instead of your little squabbles and your little 
whatever. And it's because of our inability to let go, our inability to walk in love, our inability to forgive. Amen. And our inability to also say sorry. We won't say sorry at all. What do you mean? And you know, women is not only our words, even the way we walk, our body language. The men don't see it. But when you, uh, Sintike is ushering and Yuodia comes in, she doesn't have to say anything. She'll just do this. And then we all know what it means. I urge you, Yuodia and Sintike, to live in harmony. Hallelujah! And because of you, somebody may never come to know Jesus. Because of you, somebody will be driven away from the church of God. Do you think that it's easy to just flow in a church of so many branches and so many different people? Do you think it's easy? It's not easy. Some people say, oh, as a lady reverend, She's so cool. I'm so cool. That's what you think. I still have blood and I still have flesh. When you pinch me, blood will come. Amen. Amen. But God has given me the grace to see beyond my own pain. And the Bible calls us to endure. It's not everything that you overcome. There are certain things that you endure. It's not everything I live with that I'm excited about. It's not everything I live with that is pleasant to me. But sometimes you live in pain so that a greater cause can advance. If you want to be offended, the best place to come into is the ministry. Come. If you are looking for offense, the best place is the ministry. I worked as an attorney with the Attorney General's department. But the kind of pain and, and challenges I've had as a pastor far more exceed when I was working in the world. And the thing that makes ministry painful sometimes is that sometimes the very people you have poured your life in the most, they are the ones who hurt you the most. But that is no excuse to be some way. How many times have you not done things to God and he has overlooked it? If God were to mark your iniquity, who will stand? And then you, your small pain. Because of that, the church should stop. Because of that, everything should be on hold because you are hurt. Pain is not a reason not to obey God. Jesus said, all they shall live godly, not ungodly, in Christ Jesus, will suffer will suffer persecution. If I were to take my issues issue by issue, there will be no lighthouse chapel by now. Because people do offend me and continue to offend me. People do things and they do it intentionally. I have passed that stage where I go and tell my husband, this person has done this. Can't you see that this? Oh, I've learned to just tell it to Jesus and leave it there. And many times, God has fought my battles for me. The things that I preach, they are not theory. They are roads that I've walked on. They are things that God has told me in the midst of my affliction. And in the midst of that, I jot down the things that the Holy Spirit ministers to me. And that when I stand on stage, I minister that to you. And you say, oh, lady pastor, 
we were blessed. We were, were you there when I was being nailed to the cross? Where were you? Where were you? Look at the Kodesh. Look at the number of branches. Then you. Your small branch in Allen Town also some small problem. You want to dissolve the church. Hey! Your small church, you can't manage there. Come, come, come higher. Come higher. They say the higher you go, the cooler it becomes. In ministry, the higher you go, the hotter it becomes. I've ministered to people who have betrayed me. One day somebody wrote a very... Oh, somebody couldn't have a child. I've said this story many times. And I would be with her, fast with her, pray with her every Friday. You know, God would do it. And even if it doesn't come at the time you want, you know, just strength to endure whatever. With time, the lady had a baby. And I named the baby, oh, the miracle baby. So between the mother and I, we used to call it the miracle baby. Then I realized that she didn't have a job. But she had also worked in a school before. So I said, okay, come as an attendant. I'll train you again. And then you work in the school. But as she was working in the school, she worked for some time. Then at a point, the head teacher came to tell me, you know, the lady you brought, she has now been vomiting blood and all that. I think she needs to go to the hospital because of the children also to find out what is wrong. So I said to her, you need to go to the hospital to find out what is wrong. And she said, I need the money so much. So if the doctor says I should stay, I can't really stay home, whatever. Then I went to the board. We had a meeting and I said, this lady needs to go off. I propose that we give her about three months paid leave. And then the board said, ah, why? Is it because she's in your ministry? Because if she goes for the test, we have the results. If the results are not good, she'll just be laid off or something. But you want to give three months grace for her to be home, to do this. To I mean, why? And I pleaded, and then she was given the three months. Eventually, when the results came, she had to be laid off because she had a long treatment to undergo. So the board wrote to her and laid her off. Then, one day I got a letter from this lady's husband. Your what? Your shenanigans have been exposed. Your opprobrium shadow will chase you. Hey! The things in the letter, I couldn't believe it. I said, wow. And it was given to me just before a convention. So after the convention, then, one of the elderly men on the school board came and said, Lady Reverend, I don't know why this letter was written. So I realized that she had, they had circulated it to every board member. And in it, they had said that I say the board decided. It's not the board. It's you who don't want. I, I was so surprised. Why wouldn't I want you to have a job? I who gave you the job. Why would I like to destroy your life? I don't understand it. And there were a lot of wild insults in the letter. But when I looked at the woman's husband's education, I saw that she was incapable. he was incapable of writing such a letter. With my legal mind, I just looked, I said, this man did not write this letter. So we were all sitting together, and then Bishop asked them with the board, why do you say it's my wife who just decided? The board members are here. They said they had a board meeting. They even thought she was biased. So why do you say what you're saying? I said, ah, because that's what I think, whatever. So well, we went through the issues. But just before they stood up to go, then I said, um, Mr. Whatever, can I ask you one question? Who typed this letter for you? And then he wouldn't answer. And then my husband said, oh, it's not necessary. The issue has been dealt with. It's not necessary. You know, men quickly hash things because they can't deal with it. 
So I said, no, 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 I want to know what. Then my uncle said, no, 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 we are packing the chairs. The man is going. I said, no, mister, whatever. Can you please tell me who wrote this letter for you? And the one he mentioned the name, it was my best friend. My closest friend in the church had written this letter. I was so heartbroken. I wept for days. I couldn't even ask her. Then Bishop Saki called her to his office and asked, why did you type such a letter for? Ah, I don't know. They said they couldn't type, so they came to me to type. But even the insults, I removed some. Ah. How could you say that? I wept so much. And when I tried to tell my husband over the days, this thing is so painful. Oh, it's okay, it's okay, move on, move on, eh? Oh, you men, you can be very unfeeling. Anyway, that turned me to God. And then God began to teach me about love. He took me to Matthew 5, 41, I believe, and he said, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. Say, God, but it's not easy. He said, I don't give you things to do because it's easy. But I empower you so that you can walk. And then he said to me, I've spoken about four classes of people. I said, really? He said, yes. First of all, your enemies, you have a duty to them. and Love your enemies. Then those who hate you, sometimes people hate you without a cause, but those who hate you say, do good to them that hate you. And then he said, the third category is those who curse you. He said, bless those who curse you. And the fourth and last category is those who despitefully use you. Pray for them. I said, wow. I expected maybe some 35. Let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let it never be well with them. But that's not what God ministered to me. So I said, God, I won't be a hypocrite to say it's easy. But if you give me the grace, I'll walk that line. So I, 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 I spent time in his presence dealing with my heart. I said, God, if there's any bitterness, if there's any pain, if there's any whatever, allow me to. And after some days, this lady that is one of my closest friends, she came, she knelt down, she was crying. She said, I think it was just bad judgment. I don't know what happened. I don't know why I did that. And I'm happy to say that today, she's still one of my closest friends. Yeah. Hallelujah. And she told me, you know, I listened to a daughter tape and I heard the story. She said, Mommy, I really felt some way. I said, but you were some way. You were some way. But because of that, today she's a powerful lady pastor preaching to a major congregation that the church would not have had if she had not been around. Thank God I didn't drive her out of the church because of my pain. Thank God I didn't drive her out of the church because she had church changed me. Thank God for the grace he gave me to walk in divine love. And so because of her today, there's a powerful branch that she ministers to. What a blessing. What a blessing. What a blessing. She has come into full-time ministry and she works with my husband. What a blessing. But if I was to follow my issues. Because I had a point. It's not that you are not justified. It's not that it's not painful. It's not that the person didn't rub you the wrong way. But you have to look at a higher plane than your own comfort. 
your own little world, your own little comforts, that will affect the extension of God's kingdom. What is this that thou hast done? So we have the ability to destroy ministries. We have the ability to destroy churches. I know a pastor's wife, if she has a score with you, she could hold your shirt or your blouse, all your buttons will come off. I mean, this is life. She could slap people in the church. If you misbehave, she'll just slap you because that's what you deserve. Do you understand? And her husband was always struggling. I mean, they were not in Lighthouse, but they were in another city. Her husband was always struggling. Then one day, the man went to preach somewhere. I believe the, the burden of whatever he had carried for years. So he was just kneeling down praying and he went home to be with the Lord. Now when I see the pastor's wife, she says to me, Oh, if Rev had been here, she's always coming around. I'm suffering. It's not easy. The children's fees. How to cope. She said, thank Bishop, he's helping me pay the children's fees. Oh, if Rev had been here. But what happened is that the church came to zero because of her. Because of her, the church came to zero. And then the burden took the man away, I believe. And then now, when the man has been taken away, she's saying, oh, if Rev had been here. So sometimes, what you think you are doing for the kingdom of God, you are doing for yourself. You are doing yourself a favor, but you don't know it because it's disguised. The sin of destroying churches and destroying ministries. Amen. Amen. We also have the ability, like Eve, to destroy potential. When you look at Moses' mother, she could have decided that having a baby is too much of a bother. Because he will cry, Herod's people will come for me. They will say, why did I keep the baby? Because there was an edict from the king that every baby boy should be killed. Why am I still holding on to this child? It's an inconvenience, but the Bible says by faith, Moses' parents saw that he was a goodly child. And when they saw that he was a goodly child, they hid him for three months. And then when he could no longer be hid, she made a basket, a wicker basket, and she put it on the river. Some of us would have turned our backs and said, I put it on the river, whatever will happen should happen. But she left her daughter to watch over that potential judge and redeemer of the children of Israel. And when she did that, as God would have it, Pharaoh's daughter came bathing. And then she heard the cry of the baby. And she took the baby to the palace and made the biological mother of the baby its nurse. This woman nurtured this potential till Moses grew and with the passage of time came into all that God wanted him to be. I realize in the Bible that many times God entrusts human lives to women. Jesus' life was entrusted to Mary and then Joseph. And Herod was looking to slay the child. But the parents were prepared to be inconvenienced to the extent of having a baby in a manger so that God's purpose will be fulfilled. Let me ask you, woman, when you sometimes have to move out of your comfort zone, 
when you sometimes have to live with things that are not so comfortable, are you prepared to go the whole mile so that you will not destroy potential? You will not destroy something that God is nurturing for the future. Does your mind even come to that? You see, our problem, ladies, is that when God created us and we came into the garden, everything was in place. Fish were there, birds were there, food was there, plants were in place. Even man was waiting for us. So we are so security-oriented that sometimes in following security, we miss out on God's blessing. Hallelujah. Amen. When the Lord called my husband to full-time ministry, he didn't have a job in terms of a source of income. And yet he told me that God had called him and he had to obey. The church was very small. It was made up mainly of students. In those days, the students were not like the students of today. In Ghana, the students of today are very wealthy. In our time, the students of today did not have much. How much more for a student to even pay tithe? You know, so the church could not support him. And then, my in-laws, my parents were very worried. How can a medical doctor now say he's going to become a preacher? So they started to speak to my husband. But he was stronger than I was. So he would tell them, God has called me, please. I just want to obey. So now everybody shifted the pressure to me. Because they felt that if they put the pressure on me, then I could influence him to come out of his madness and think right. So every time at dawn, my father-in-law would call me. Say, Adley, so what are you doing about your husband's decision? So what do you think? So what, I was always under pressure. And at a point, the Lord gave me an answer. So when he would call, 5 a.m. every day, he would call, no matter when I slept. Then when he would say that, I would say, Daddy, he says that he believes that God has called him. And he believes that he must obey. So as a wife, I think that my place is just to support him. Is that what you are saying? You, you are supposed to go to Cambridge. And he is supposed to become a heart surgeon. He had brought all the papers for us to fill, my father-in-law, to send us off on our specialization tour. And here we were saying that the Lord had called us. My father came and said, he thinks that it's because of where my husband has been posted to in the hospital. Pathology, to deal with dead bodies. He thinks that's what's worrying him. So he has a lot of connections. He can change the place where he has to work. My husband said, no, God has called me and I have to obey. In the midst of saying God has called you, you have to obey another. You cannot afford even baby milk for your child. You cannot buy formula for your child. And you say that God has called you. And although our parents could have helped us, because we had turned that way, we didn't feel bold to even tell them that we were in need. So then, we lived one day at a time. The life of faith. But somehow, supernaturally, we never also prayed that God would send any money. Because every day we sort of lived, you know. So when I look back, I say, ah, it is not care to me to pray God prosper us. God give No, I just pray that God help us obey you. I'm not, I'm not a saint. Don't get me wrong. But when I look back, I wonder why we were not agitated. I think it was divine. I could have destroyed the potential of Lighthouse Chapel. 
Because at that stage, it had not become a tree. It was just a mustard seed. And in its infancy, you can kill it. That's why Satan often attacked people with potential at their baby stage. Jesus, Herod, you know, uh, uh, Moses was also Pharaoh at the very infant stage. It's easier to kill than when the thing grows. But I thank God for the grace not to have snuffed up Lighthouse Chapel. Now when I go around the world, literally the world, and I see what God has done, that today, because of that obedience from years ago, there's Lighthouse Chapel, Australia. There's Lighthouse Chapel, India. There's Lighthouse Chapel, Papua New Guinea. There's Lighthouse Chapel, Fiji. There's Lighthouse Chapel, Democratic Republic of Congo. There's Lighthouse Chapel, Rwanda. There's Lighthouse Chapel, Swaziland. Places which are forgotten because that potential was not destroyed. Ladies, what you are handling is the kingdom of God. What you are handling is something powerful. What you are handling is more than you are seeing today. So don't be like you were there in Sintike. Don't be like Eve. What is this that you are doing? In that church that you are serving, there sits a Moses. There sits a Yongicho. There sits a Bishop Dagiwad Mills. You cannot see that potential now. But if you were to snuff them out, they will never become what God intends for them to become. Daughter, don't destroy God's creation. Hallelujah. Proverbs 14.1 says, hey, I need a cue to do when it's time because I'm just going on. Proverbs 14.1 says, homes are destroyed by the wisdom of women. Homes are built by the wisdom of women and destroyed by their foolishness. I didn't say it. Even the building of homes lies with us. Amen. Amen. King James says, a wise woman builds with her house, but the foolish her house, but the foolish plucks it down. Would you intentionally pluck down your house? No woman in her right mind will intentionally do it. But we are deceived like Eve. And we don't see things like we should see them. That is why we destroy our homes. Amen. Amen. Most of the time, the stability of a home, it depends on the woman. If the woman decides that, you see, because, excuse me to say, sometimes our brothers can do very foolish things. Hey. Men can do things, oh. <laughs> but even if you look at the lives of our mothers, the patience they had, the long suffering they had, you know, eventually they come round. Amen. But the generation of today, we are the no-nonsense millennium type of women. We are not long-suffering. We don't have that fruit of the spirit at all. And whenever a man misbehaves, really? You, I even earn more than you, number one. Number two, I was smarter than you at school. Number three, I also have a job and I can look after myself. And so if you misbehave, I just kick you up. And that leads to broken homes. And I was reading an article on the flight. I even took it out. It said that it has been shown 
that married people are healthier than the others. Amen. Amen. They have done a survey in England and show that even their children are often, not always, more stable than others. And then married people look for jobs when they are out of employment more quickly. They are more productive to the nation than single people. And as I was reading, I said, God knew all these things. Are you now discovering it? God knew it from creation. So a home, it's stability. Whether a home will go on, it's made by the wisdom of women. Amen. Amen. In the home, if a visitor comes, if he will be happy, it depends on the woman. If he will not be happy, it depends on the woman. Because we can come out of our room and the way we will make our faces, you will say that, please, can I pack my things? I want to leave tomorrow. You will leave. So the Bible says about the wives of deacons that they must be given to hospitality. Because it is the hospitable woman who will make the home where missionaries can pass, where Elijah's can pass, where people can... It depends on us. If we decide that you won't eat, you won't eat. You, the visitor. <laughs> the fact that my husband brought you does not mean you will eat. You, you will be there. You will starve and you will see. <laughs> I, have, I have been in the traveling ministry for a while. I've been to places where I've been starved. So when people tell me they are starving, I believe it. I tell you. I was there and I said, hey, so won't they even give me a cup of tea? I was there, I said, uh, maybe they are making breakfast. And when I came out, nothing, eh, nothing, zero. And when I asked the lady in the house, the girl who worked in the house, the domestic staff, I said, where's my dad? She's gone to work. Where is daddy? He's gone to work. Hey! So I said to her, do you have a tray here? She said, yes. I said, go and bring a pot of hot water, teapot of hot water, a, ke a kettle. Go and bring tea bags. Do you have sugar? Do you have this? Do you have... I arranged the tea tray myself. And I was with some of my staff. So I said, take it to them so that at least they won't die. They will have something to drink. In the afternoon, no food. We were there. Hey, it wasn't an easy thing. Oh. By the evening, I saw that our help comes from the Lord. So I said to somebody, drive us to the nearest KFC. I need to feed my staff. So a person drove us. And then one of the lady pastors, when she got the KFC, hungered. <laughs> you are laughing. Ask lady pastor Shelly, it's true. The person was shaking like this. She couldn't eat the food. Out. She bit her lip because the hunger was too much. Bishop Saki has been to places where he has fainted because he's living in people's houses and they didn't give him food. He has fainted. Our pastor elsewhere told me that he went somewhere for a convention. Morning, nothing. He said, okay, they'll give me like, uh, breakfast. Nothing. He said, okay, they'll give me brunch. Nothing. Then they went for the convention. They came back. He said, oh, maybe in the evening they'll give me food. Nothing. He said, these days I've become like Bishop. I just carry my biscuits and my, just in case. Just in case. Homes are made by the wisdom of women and destroyed by their foolishness. Many times in my house, many men of God are passing through. They are coming to live there every time. Passing, going, come. And at the beginning, you know, I'll be in Tuesday service, very happy. We'll be doing worship. Then they'll say, 
turn and greet somebody. So I'll go and greet and I'll see some of our missionaries or our pastors who don't live in Accra. I'll say, hey, you, are, you are in Accra. Do you have anything you are doing here? Say, oh, don't you know? I'm coming to stay in your house. Say, oh, I don't know. Say, oh, I told Bishop last week that I was coming. <laughs> so I'll go to my husband and I'll say, but why? You knew we were getting guests that you didn't tell me. Oh, but you always uh, look after them, even whether you know or not. You all... I mean, I couldn't take it at all. But these days I've grown up. So when I see them, I say, where are you going? Oh, to your house. Oh, okay, after church, we all go. And we look for stuff. And the reason why sometimes we get angry that we don't know is because we feel that we have to work under pressure to provide for them. But I decided that if I'm to quarrel with this man over this issue every day, there will be no peace. So I've just accepted it. Do you understand? So when they come, whatever fast thing I can do, I do. But I thank God that they always send me mail. They are calling me. Pastor Richard will say, is there room at the inn? You know, they are so happy to live there. Homes are made by the wisdom of women and destroyed by their foolishness. Sometimes you send people on missions and they have to share a home. You want the syndicate. It's a whole issue. You want the syndicate. We'll fight out and we send the missionaries back home. What is this that thou hast done? Daughter, do not spoil God's creation. Amen. We are destroyers of homes sometimes. Destroyers of marriages. Destroyers of marriages. Marriage is sacred. The Bible says, but adulterers and whoremongers, God will judge. So it's not that you are smart enough to keep it away from the human eye. But God will judge. And also when you get married and somebody comes close to yours, don't react because remember, remember. But the ones who react the most are the ones who were somewhere before they married. Amazing. They are the most jealous ones. And they are the ones who say, well, what do you want with my husband? But you, you have destroyed people's own. Now that you are reaping a harvest, you say, God, it's okay. It's not okay. The sanctity of marriage in the church of God must be kept as such. The Bible says what God has put together, let no man, including you, put asunder. Hallelujah. We are also destroyers of life. We are the ones who carry life. The man gives seed, but we are the ones who carry life. And many times, we destroy lives in the womb before the child will come out. It shows how great our potential. It's not the man who decides whether the child will live or not. It's us. We decide. And if we decide who the father of the child is, women have great influence and great power. But that same thing, if it falls into the wrong hands, can be used in a very wrong way. Lastly, we are destroyers of God's call on the lives of people. God had called Samson to be the judge of Israel. But because of Delilah's lap, Samson was destroyed. Instead of judging, he was sleeping in the lap of Delilah. 
Now I have a message called the lessons of Delilah. You must get that message because some people are bad, but they teach us good lessons. One of the lessons Delilah teaches us is that the lab can be a place of comfort for your husband. Hallelujah. Amen. But many of us, we don't have time to nurture that love or to be that place for our husbands when they come home. When they come home, you say, Chale, look after yourself. Think about yourself. Do this, do that. But Delilah would always bring a great man of God like Samson into her lap. And when men sleep in that lap, they don't think correctly. <laughs> Do you understand? So Delilah's motives were wrong. But you as a wife can do it with the right motive. When he goes out there and he takes all the blows from his boss, from his job, from his church members, can you be a haven and a pair of laps for him? So that when he sleeps there, he can forget about the struggles of this life. Can you be that place? Amen. Some of you, you are not romantic at all. You see, me, I look so romantic, but I'm not. Because, you know, my husband is a visionary. When he comes to camp, you see. He's a visionary, and he speaks in a stronger way. When he says, we are going to do this, we are going to... So I think that when people look at that, and then they compare to... Oh, the wife must be the very romantic one, but I'm not. I'm just loving, but I'm not romantic. But the one who will light the candles and say, let's go down here for a drive, and let's park by the river, and let's... That's my husband. Amen. He is the romantic one. But I'm loving. I'll say, oh, could you have something to eat? Would you? But romantic. So pray for some of us. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But just as Delilah destroyed God's call on Samson's life, the Bible says that adulteress will hunt for the precious life. It's the precious life that we want, the life that God has a purpose for. Many men of God are derailed by adulteresses. And it is our lips often that we use to trap people. When you read Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7, Proverbs 6, in conclusion, let's read that. Proverbs 5, 3 to 6. Proverbs 5, 3 to 6. What does it say? For the lips of a strange woman or an adulteress drops as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The lips. It is our words. Sometimes not only the way they dress, and the way, but the things that they will say. Oh, since I met you, my life has changed. It's never been the same again. I don't know what I would have done without you. And then the foolish men too. It just works on them. 
Amen. Amen. Men love to have their egos polished and ironed and stroked. So most adulterous women know that secret. The Bible says the lips of an adulteress, they drip like honey. Honey is sweet. And her words, they are smoother than oil. Okay? Then go to Proverbs 6.24. I just want to prove something to you and then we end. Proverbs 6.24. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. So we have the ability to flatter so the person is not thinking anymore. That's why men can sign such fat checks for girlfriends because when they speak, oh, I, don't, I can't even find the words to describe you. You have brought such meaning into my life. I mean, I don't even know where I was going until I met you. And even if the Lord is to call you, I just want to be with you. I just want to be where you are. Dwelling daily in your presence. I don't want to worship from afar. Oh, man of God, draw me near to where you are. Proverbs 7 verse 5. Proverbs 7 verse 5. That they may keep you from an adulteress, from the stranger which flattereth. With what? Her words. Our words. Our mouths. They have potential. These are some of our weapons of flattery. We don't need anything. When we flatter you, just sleep. As if you've taken a sedative. And then we take over. The Lord have mercy. But I always say to wives, if somebody can praise your husband so much, why have you become the main critic a leader of the opposition party in your husband's life. Wives, why don't we switch and begin to also praise and honor our husbands? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I always say that I am determined to stay the life president of the fan club of Bishop Dagi with Mills. <laughs> because as a wife, you see and you know more. So when you praise, it has a different flavor from the praises of all the other people. What started the battle between Saul and David? The woman's mouth. Just now that David came, you say Saul has killed his thousand, but David ten thousand. When? When? And when that happened, Saul said, ah, they have ascribed to David ten thousand and to me a thousand because men are very sensitive about their ego, achievements. So why? Oh, woman of God. Why, oh wife, when your husband comes home, don't you tell him that today the message was powerful. It was something else. And then don't just say something else, powerful. When you talked about that point, it hits me so much. In fact, you are very anointed. So stop that, I like it, stop it, I like it, stop it, I like it. Amen. Some of you, when you start to say that, your husband will ask you that, what is wrong? Has something gone on that you are praising me today? 
What do you want? Am I supposed to sign a check? What's going on? When he looks good and he's going to the car, you make a call and say, wow, that's a smart suit you are wearing. Amen. But when he dresses, you don't see. When he's going, you don't see. And then when he gets to church, oh, pastor, you look sharp today. Then you will be eyeing them. Take your place. Amen, ladies. May the Lord help us so that like Eve, we will not destroy God's creation. May the Lord give us the grace to endure what we have to endure, to overcome what we have to overcome, to repent of things we have to repent so that the kingdom of God can move on. God bless you in Jesus' name. Stand to your feet, please. Hallelujah. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided Jesus. I have decided to follow
after me, Lord Jesus. This I come to you just as I am. Please take my life and make it what you want it to be. Father, I invite Jesus into my life to be the Lord of my life. from the dead so that I may have eternal life. Thank you, Father, for writing my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you, Father, for receiving me into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Satan, I break every link with you. want to pray with you. Father, thank you for these that have come to you. Some want a new beginning. Some are rededicating their lives. And some are giving their lives to you for the first time. I pray and I lift them up before the throne of grace. God, before whom all things are laid bare, please touch them in all the broken places. Mend their broken lives, oh God. Bring recovery of sight to them that are blind. Bring, oh God, deliverance for every captive. Let the poor have the good news preached to them. Let the brokenhearted be healed. And from today, let it mark a new chapter in their lives and in their walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. for the decision that you have made you will never regret it happy birthday it was great having you today to find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh North Kaneshi or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills for prayer and counseling please call 0243 187900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.